This is Body Talk, where we explore your inner universe. It's always fun to find out how much you don't know about what you didn't know you didn't know about. And yeah, so that, that's the life of a scientist. Hi, everybody. David Lasondek here, and welcome to the first episode of Body Talk for Season 3, 2023. And thank you to all my listeners who made this one of the top 10% most shared programs worldwide in 2022. Thank you so much. I am so excited about this next guest. But before I tell you about him, I just want to tell you there's going to be a special educational opportunity for Body Talk listeners. We'll be dropping that uh, during the break during the program. So when you get that little break, don't go fast forward. Don't hit that plus 10 seconds little button. Just keep on listening. It's a special offer that you don't want to miss. And seats are limited. But first, astrophysicist Paul M. Sutter. I have been wanting to have a discussion about quantum mechanics with a real quantum mechanic. And that's exactly what Paul and I sat down and did back in December. And you're going to hear it right now on Body Talk. Hi, and welcome to Body Talk. Today, I am beyond excited to have as my guest, Paul M. Sutter. Let me tell you a little bit about Paul. He is an astrophysicist. He wrote a book called Your Place in the Universe, Understanding Our Big, Messy Existence. He is the host of the podcast, Ask a Spaceman, which since I discovered I have been injecting right into my veins, it's so good and so re-listenable as well. And he recently wrote an article in Nautilus magazine about how he learned to embrace uncertainty. Welcome to the podcast, Paul M. Sutter. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm really looking forward to this conversation. Me too. I've been dreaming about a conversation like this since since I started the pod. So let's start with some foundational principles, which is always important in, in any science. And it's that to truly understand quantum mechanics, you have to understand math. Is that more or less correct? Uh, yeah, it, there are different levels of understanding. And in all things in life, you can understand and appreciate uh, different aspects of life, uh, different experiences at different levels. Uh, when it comes to quantum mechanics, which is a part of physics, which is a part of science, uh, I always try to remind my listeners that uh, we can talk about quantum mechanics. I'm sure we're going to dive into some of the, the guts of quantum mechanics. But Absolutely. at the end of the day, we have to remember that quantum mechanics is a mathematical theory. In fact, all physics is mathematical theories. That's what we do. We develop mathematical models that help us understand the world around us. And so that's okay. Um, you don't have to be afraid of quantum mechanics. It doesn't have to be scary. It's weird, but it's also wonderful. Uh, and it's it's non-intuitive, but it's also mind-blowing, which is part of the fun. Uh, but keep in mind that as we talk about quantum mechanics, and, and I hope at the end of this episode, your listeners come away with some understanding of quantum mechanics, that there's more to the story down there. And it's not a secret. There are free textbooks that go through it. You just need a few years of training to, to get to that point. Uh, but just 
have that in the background that there's more to the story than what we're presenting with words and what we're trying to do with words and our, our discussions of quantum mechanics is try to talk about the math without actually showing off the math. Okay. That sounds like a great place to start. So quantum mechanics is the overall working theory of the subatomic realm, as opposed to the Newtonian realm being the space that you and I are interacting right now, correct? Exactly. And another word for that Newtonian realm is what uh, we in physics call the classical world. So prior to the development of quantum mechanics, and quantum mechanics really developed in a revolution in the early 20th century, in the span of about 20 years, uh, we had a long tradition, centuries of tradition prior to that of developing physics. Physics has been around for a while. And we've developed all sorts of cool, sophisticated mathematical models for understanding the world, like Newtonian physics, like electromagnetism, um, like uh, thermodynamics. And the, this physics explains a wide variety of experiences in everyday life, like your car engine, we explain with classical physics, uh, like the the motion of satellites around the earth, we explain with classical physics. Like being able uh, to send the new lander to Mars. Exactly, exactly. The whole space launch system, the Artemis rocket, the Orion capsule, that's all classical physics. Um, quantum mechanics is a little bit different. Uh, what we discovered in the early 20th century is that when we try to explain specifically subatomic physics, when we once we realize that atoms exist and that they can be broken apart and they're made of tiny little bits and pieces, and we start playing with those bits and pieces, we found that classical physics simply couldn't explain what was going on. We needed a brand new set of physics, which we eventually called quantum physics. When that happened, how did that change the foundation of physics? Was it immediate? Was it, did it shake things up right away? Did it take a little time to permeate the system? Was it a big bang? Was it a quantum event? It was huge. It was it was a quantum leap. And, and in fact, uh, I'm sure we'll get into we have all these words that have leaked out from quantum physics uh, into normal everyday language like quantum leap. There was a discrete sudden jump in less than one generation we realized that our understanding of classical physics, the physics that we had been developing for centuries, was incapable of describing subatomic physics. And we needed a brand new set of mathematical equations. We need a brand new set of assumptions. We need a brand new almost reality in order to explain what was happening in subatomic physics. In less than 20 years, we went from a purely classical world, an assumption that we can use the tools of classical physics to explain everything in nature, to, oh, we need a brand new set of rules. We need a brand new set of mathematics. We need to throw away our entire intuition about how the natural world works and build a new intuition from the ground up in order to explain subatomic physics. And we did that in two decades. In your podcast, you likened it to going from Mozart to death metal. 
Yes, two decades. Exactly. I love that metaphor. I was very, very proud. I love the, I, <laughs> in my podcast the cheesier, the lamer, the metaphor, the better. As oh yeah, because it sticks. Point. It sticks. Um, this is. Uh, I want you to imagine like classical music. You know, Mozart, Bach. You know, all the all the greats. Imagine being trained as a classical musician and all of your buddies and colleagues and friends are classical musicians and then you yourself being trained and taught and practicing in classical music in the span of a few years invent death metal and yes death metal and classical music share a lot of similar things they're both you know, Western musical traditions, they still use, you know, similar chord progressions and techniques. But death metal is very, very, very different than classical music and requires a different understanding and, and a different approach. And quantum mechanics is the death metal of science. You've said that quantum mechanics is absolutely the most successful theory of physics in that it survived everything you've thrown at it and yet it doesn't make any sense can can you explain how we can hold those two things yeah so quantum mechanics and, and this is where the math comes in don't worry i'm not gonna say any math out loud because that wouldn't be very useful for anybody when i mentioned that we had to th- develop new rules for understanding the subatomic world i wasn't kidding we had to develop, we had to throw out our entire intuition about how things work. Think of just like in your daily life, think of the things you don't think about. Like if I throw a ball to you, you have a decent shot of catching it because you've seen balls being thrown a lot. You know that they tend to follow a certain kind of path and you can in your body so used to it because you've been growing up with this. Your brain has learned that uh, the the ball will follow that one single path, and then you'll you have a reasonable shot at catching it. Uh, basic assumptions about logic, like if I am in one room, and then you see me again, and I'm, I'm in a different room, you assume that I moved, that I got up and walked from one room to another that there wasn't anything weird or creepy going on. I simply move that in order to change locations, I have to physically move. You assume that, yeah, I'm still local. I'm still, uh, uh, motion still makes sense. Uh, there's a, a few other things. I don't want to get bogged down in the details, but go for it. Those kinds of intuitions formed the basis of classical physics. And those kinds of intuitions break down in the subatomic world. If an electron is traveling, an electron is a tiny little particle, it's part of an atom. If it's traveling, I'm not exactly sure where it's going to go. And I can never be sure where it's going to go. It can follow an infinite number of paths. And, and it can arrive at an infinite number of destinations. If I see an electron in, in one place, in one state, uh, and then I look again, it can be somewhere else uh, without having to travel there. No recorded motion, no no motion, no movement, and it'll simply appear somewhere else. And on and on and on. When we started breaking apart atoms and looking at the insides, the, the experiments that we were performing 
to understand what was happening at the subatomic level broke common sense. It broke intuition. All of our tools broke down because our tools assumed very, very basic intuitive things that we naturally live in the macroscopic world and they simply stopped working. So we had to build a mathematical theory, not an intuitive theory, mm-hmm. not a theory that uh, we could say, well, uh, this is how uh, if I throw a ball and I can develop some mathematical language for explaining that, then if I throw an electron, I can use the same kind of language to explain it. It just doesn't work. Not the electron, electron's like, no, I got my own rules, man. And so we developed in response to these experiments, a brand new set of physics that we call quantum physics. And the mathematics has been tested. The mathematics is able to make predictions. The the mathematics is able to be verified, uh, falsified. So we can say, okay, according to our mathematical model of how electrons behave in an atom, for example, uh, we should see result X, Y, and Z in experiments. And we see results X, Y, and Z in experiments over and over and over again. So the mathematical construct that we call quantum mechanics passes every single experimental test that we've thrown at it for over a hundred years. And yet when we look at those mathematical equations and you come to me and say, Hey, Hey, Paul. So, um, the mathematics of quantum mechanics, what is it saying? What it says doesn't make any sense. It says that, uh, electrons or subatomic particles can exist in multiple states at once. It can say that uh, uh, when particles move, they can take uh, an infinite number of paths at the same time, that they can occupy different states at the same time, that you never know exactly the, the precise result of an experiment. You only know probabilities ahead of time. Uh, it, it, that two particles can be on opposite sides of the universe and they're still somehow strangely connected to each other where one state can the the uh, the properties of one can affect the properties of the other. And all of these statements appear to be true because mm-hmm. you know they, they, they pass experiments, but none of these statements make any sense. No, and, and it drove Einstein nuts, right? Oh, Einstein, this is one of the greatest ironies in, in the quantum revolution. Einstein was one of the founders of quantum mechanics. He wrote a paper in 1905 explaining something called the photoelectric effect. And he was one of the first to propose what would become or grow into quantum mechanics. And But as the, the years went on, as we get into the 1910s and the 1920s, he sees that the direct the direction that quantum mechanics is taking and the direction where quantum mechanics starts getting fleshed out as this theory that doesn't make any sense yet appears to be correct. And he insisted until his dying day that we were missing something, that quantum mechanics was incomplete, that all the stuff about quantum mechanics that didn't make any sense was really just a sign that we weren't being clever enough, that we hadn't uncovered a true theory of subatomic physics, that we had just scraped the surface and, uh, you know, 
ramshackled together this ugly construct that we call quantum mechanics in order to explain the results, but we are missing a deeper truth. He would go to his grave believing that, and yet we have been able to come up with experiments that have shown that as far as we can tell, quantum mechanics is the complete truth. That, or, or it's There is no deeper theory. There is no theory wow. that we know of mm-hmm. that sits underneath quantum mechanics that does make sense, that looks more like a classical theory of physics. And what we call quantum mechanics is just some crude uh, hack job approximation of it. We've been able to perform some experiments that show that quantum mechanics, as far as we can tell, is complete, that there's there are no missing parts to it. Body Talk will return after the break. Hey, everybody, David Lasondak, and I want to invite you to come with me to San Diego this March, March 8th and 9th, where I will be at the Anatomy Scapes Lab for their next in-person dissection lab for a journey into the matrix. That's right. You can get red-pilled when it comes to fascia. My friends and Body Talk guests, Rochelle Clausen and Nicole Trombley, are going to be leading a two-day dissection workshop where you can get up close and personal with the fascial system, from the slippery, slidey gels of the loose connective tissue to the densely packed collagen fibers of the IT band, all the way down to some of the deepest structures in the body on a fresh tissue specimen. And I'm going to be right there with all of you taking my touch and my cognitive skills to the next level under the direction of Rochelle and Nicole of Anatomy Scapes. And because you're a regular listener to Body Talk, you can get a whopping 28% off by using promo code FOD, that's Friend of David, FOD28. You'll also get their Anatomy Lovers mini course, What is Fascia? Now, The offer ends on February 8th, so you got to go now and register. There will be a link to the registration in the show notes. Use the promo code FOD28 and get 28% off and join Rochelle Clausen, Nicole Trombley, and myself, David Lasondak. I'll be right in there with you, taking it next level. So I hope you can join Nicole Trombley and Rochelle Clausen and myself for a journey into the matrix in sunny San Diego on the 8th and 9th of March. The link will be in the show notes. Go there and register today. And now back to this episode of Body Talk with Paul M. Sutter. Let's uh, let's change the scale here for a moment because Einstein makes me think spooky action at a distance, makes me think what is referred to as quantum entanglement, which is how one particle over here and another particle over there can affect each other. So... I um I get the urge to drive past somebody's house, somebody I haven't seen in years, somebody I used to have a very deep and connected relationship with, but I don't drive past their house because you don't do that, right? I mean, what good can come of it? But it sticks in your mind and you keep coming back to it, you come back to it, you come back to it, weeks and weeks pass. And then you finally do and you see that the house is empty, it's been sold and they've moved away. And you go back and you look online to see when did it sell. And it sold about the time that you had the urge to go past it. Is that quantum entanglement or just a coincidence? 
that is that's actually just coincidence so um this is the danger of using quantum mechanics so quantum mechanics is spooky and weird and sexy and interesting and mysterious and no we don't fully understand quantum mechanics and that's great uh because that means job security for <laughs> um i love it but mm -hmm. quantum mechanics lives inside of a box there is a domain of natural phenomena that we use quantum mechanics to explain and we do this in, in, in all of physics. So we have like theories of electromagnetism. We use these theories to understand electricity, magnetism, radiation, light, and it's great. We can't use that those, those theories everywhere uh, because they simply don't apply. It doesn't work. Quantum mechanics is the physical description of the subatomic world, period, full stop, end of sentence. In fact, the theory is corrected, constructed, the mathematics, we write the mathematics so that at the subatomic level, all this weird stuff happens, non-locality, entanglement, probabilities, all the usual quantum nonsense. But we deliberately construct the mathematics so that when you zoom out to anything above the subatomic world, once you get up into the macroscopic world, Quantum mechanics becomes classical physics. Uh -huh. we, we deliberately, we constructed our theories to make that happen because we needed it to happen because we knew, based on all available evidence, that at the subatomic world, something funky is happening, but in the macroscopic world, nothing funky is happening. We have successful theories that explain classical physics and classical interactions. We know those work because those are also verified by experiment. So we have to connect those two. So once you zoom out beyond an atom or a molecule, quantum mechanics doesn't matter anymore. You just have classical physics. So yeah, yeah, go ahead. So so what you're saying is, is that beyond a certain domain of scale, these rules apply, and then when we get to this other domain of scale, those rules apply, and it's and there's not a and then something magical happens moment. Yeah, yeah, it's like um, uh, like if you're working from home versus you're in the office. When you're working from home, certain rules apply as to say what you wear. You know what? You can have your sweatpants on. I've got I've got sweatpants. Yeah, on. we're, we're kind of casual today. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But when you show up at work, you got to wear your work outfit. So there's mm -hmm. a domain for your casual clothes, and there's a domain for your work clothes. Now there is a transition between the two. If if you are headed to work, you have to make sure you put on your work clothes because that's what makes sense for that scenario. Uh, and so when you go to the macroscopic world, you have to put on your macroscopic clothes. You have to put on your classical theories of physics and you have to leave behind your, your quantum sweatpants. You have to leave those in the subatomic world. Look forward to his merch store, yeah, folks. Quantum sweatpants. <laughs> quantum sweatpants. We don't know exactly where that transition takes place or how it takes place in every system. So I will say that this is one mm -hmm. of the open questions 
in physics is how exactly does the quantum world transition into the classical world? How does that take place? Where does it take place? At what energy or size scale? But I can say for certain, once you get up to the scale of human beings walking around doing things, that is definitely classical physics. Mm -hmm. And everything we understand about classical physics applies. There's no quantum weirdness at that macroscopic scale. What you're talking about there, that transition zone, from one scale, one level to the next, uh, is the correspondence principle? Exactly. So this is an idea uh, proposed by one of the founders of quantum physics, Niels Bohr. Now, this correspondence principle, it serves two functions. One is a mathematical function. The other is a philosophical function. As a mathematical function, it's simply a demand a constraint placed on quantum theory is that if you want to write down a successful quantum theory, which you are free to, to write any quantum theory you want, you can go home right now and develop your own mathematical model of subatomic physics. But the correspondence principle demands that at large scales, at macroscopic scales, it must look like classical physics. And so, mm. in other words, if I develop some uh, complicated quantum interaction in the mathematics itself, once you start adding more components or you get to larger systems, it must it must just look like thermodynamics. So, so you could you could break it down into as many subunits as possible, but when you get up there, it still has to look like two plus two equals four. Exactly, exactly. And so that's the mathematical function. That is a constraint we put on quantum theories is that they must replicate the classical world at classical scales. The other function of the correspondence principle is a philosophical idea, which is to say essentially that in words, which is if you have a quantum theory, at some point it should give way to a classical theory because there is no evidence of quantum phenomena at macroscopic scale. So we must abandon quantum mechanics at some scale, and there must be some sort of nebulous, poorly understood, but transition between that. Now, people who would be more inclined to a, a mystical or traditionally religious interpretation of the world might say that there are examples of quantum phenomenon in real life and they're called miracles. My place here in the in this universe is never to tell people what to believe. Mm -hmm. I'm never here to tell someone that something they believe, something they saw, something they felt is incorrect. That's not my job. If you believe in miracles, you believe in miracles. If you believe something special happened, uh, you drove by that house at just the right time and there was something special about mm -hmm. that moment beyond mere coincidence, I'm yeah. not going to tell you you're wrong because that's not my job. No. And, and by another is, name, yeah. Jung would have called that a synchronicity. Exactly. It's a psychological a theory of coincidence. I do believe that there are many complex interactions that humans engage in, and not all of them uh, can be ascribed to mere coincidence. 
uh, because humans uh, operate on multiple levels and our thinking uh, and our consciousness operates on multiple levels and our interactions among each other operate on multiple levels. So not everything is a coincidence. On the other hand, I don't believe that everything is a correlation either. Sometimes mm-hmm. a cigar just is a, is cigar. a cigar, right? But my job as a physicist is to explain as much as I can about the natural world using the tools available to me as a scientist, which is mathematical models, empiricism, rationality. I try to find the simplest explanation that can explain the most amount of phenomena. We call this parsimony, where I try to Mm -hmm. find the simplest, the, the fewest statements that can explain the most amount of things. So my bar my personal bar for believing things is very, very high because that's my job as a scientist. Mm -hmm. And and so I'll never tell you what to believe, uh, but I'm also going to hold my own set of beliefs. I do believe that the vast majority of things that people call miracles or uh, synchronicities are probably just coincidences or probably can be explained by far simpler things. But if you want to believe differently, more power to you. You touched on something that you talked about, the fact that we humans are these very complex systems operating on multiple levels simultaneously, which which leads me to the idea of what is consciousness. And I'm sure you're familiar with Roger Penrose. And some people try to explain consciousness via quantum mechanics but penrose thinks that consciousness is even beyond quantum mechanics ability to explain and i'm wondering if you could unpack that a little um, honestly i don't know what consciousness is i don't think anyone knows what consciousness <laughs> oh, is oh no i was i wasn't as you um, consciousness <laughs> and, and and when it comes to roger penrose he's a genius absolute yep. genius mm-hmm. um nobel prize and all that however this is my uh, professional opinion. This is something I would say to him sure. to his face if I, if, I, if I could ever meet him face to face. He has a tendency and he has had a tendency over the past uh, 30 years or so to say things that sound very powerful and interesting and intriguing uh, and then just kind of leave it there and and let other people you know debate the ramifications of it mm-hmm. and because he's roger penrose nobel prize winning physicist super genius people actually listen to him um if i said the same things that <laughs> roger penrose said no mm-hmm. one would pay attention to me so right. if i said said something trying to relate consciousness to quantum mechanics people would say they would pat me on my head and say that's that's very cute paul move on mm-hmm. go back um, and do the math go back and do the math. yeah yeah like oh show your work you know it's like in the math test in high school like you can't just give the answer man you gotta you gotta show your work um and for the past 20 or 30 years i would say that roger penrose uh i greatly admire and respect him but he has not really shown his work on a lot of these ideas to the level that we could actually seriously debate it as scientists or even philosophers thank you for that answer because that's important if you can't if you can't actualize it in some way into the real world, what's the point? And, and and that goes along. I get a lot of emails every single day. I get emails from people who have their own pet uh, theory of the universe. I <laughs> on, honestly, if you have your own idea, don't even bother. I, I don't even read them. 
as soon as <laughs> I reached the first line, I said, uh, excuse me, Dr. Sutter, I would like to bounce this. I, I've already stopped reading. I just don't mm-hmm. read them. Um, mm-hmm. Because theories are more than just words. The, and this is where the importance of mathematics as a tool for understanding nature comes in. If you want to propose a theory of physics, you absolutely can. But you got to play the game. And the game has certain rules. And the rules are you, you can't just throw a bunch of words together. You actually have to show how you can make predictions. And you can only do that if you develop a mathematical theory that says if you go out and run this experiment, this is the result you'll get. Yeah, there have to be predictable outcomes that happen regularly yeah. enough to be provable. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, I think, you know, part of the thing that intrigued me about getting more deeply into the practical applications of the science of fashion connective tissue was the idea of coming up with the unified field theory for the human body. Have I done it? No. <laughs> do I think I will by my lifetime? Probably not, but it's still one of those things that just drives me forward. Uh, what keeps you moving forward what's got you really intrigued right now in the quantum realm theoretically oh i uh my personal training and my personal background is in cosmology so i study the origins and evolution of the universe and one of the questions we try to answer among many others is about the origins of the universe and this is a place Uh, where normally the present-day universe uh, couldn't care less about quantum mechanics. It's too big, it's too old, it's too classical, it's too macroscopic. Uh, We don't even use general relativity for most problems. We can get by with Newtonian physics. Uh, It's just easier. Mm -hmm. It just doesn't matter. But in the early universe, quantum mechanics does play a significant role. So are we talking a few few microseconds before the Big Bang, right after? Yeah, we're talking... um, like 10 to the minus, I don't know, 20 seconds into the mm-hmm. event. Okay. Uh, we are talking the first instance, because uh, once the universe is a few, actually a few seconds to minutes old, uh, quantum mechanics falls out of the picture. Uh, and, it's, and we can understand it with nuclear physics. We can understand it with thermodynamics and statistical physics, plasma physics. Uh, we can understand the evolution of the universe after that. But in the first, like, less than a second, less than a fraction of a second, we need to understand quantum mechanics. We need to understand quantum mechanics at, at a better level than we do uh, presently. And these, this is a hard problem because we only have one universe. So it's, we only have the one experiment accessible to us. And trying to understand what's going on is is a fun challenge. Getting back to the article in Nautilus, as you said, the confusion and senselessness of particle physics isn't uh, isn't a bug. It's a feature, and it creates a new way to see our everyday life. So how has your your struggles with trying to under, make sense of the senselessness and, and come to a kind of, uh, if not peace, equanimity about it, how has that actually reflected into and, and changed your normal, mundane, everyday life? Yeah, well, first off, uh, I I never think of my life as mundane. I think of my <laughs> life as very fun and interesting and mm-hmm. exciting, whether it's trying to understand the origins of the universe or trying to get my kid to a soccer practice. It's never boring. Mm-hmm. Um, and when people first meet quantum mechanics, it 
it can be overwhelming and it can be it, it, it is it doesn't make sense i don't understand quantum mechanics and i don't think anyone does and people have tried for the past hundred years ever since quantum mechanics first arrived on the scene have been debating about its meaning about what do these equations mean what does the math really tell us what can we say uh, and this is unique in physics because our other theories of physics like electromagnetism gravity we can say what it means we can say what uh einstein's general theory of relativity we can say what it means in it and it pretty much makes sense special relativity, thermodynamics, electromagnetism, all the other branches of physics, we understand the meaning of the equations. But that's not the case with quantum mechanics, because when we try to wrap the equations in words and try to extract a meaning from it, like what are the ultimate lessons here of, about the universe, we run into statements that don't make any sense, that are completely nonsensical, not just non-intuitive, but, but don't even make logical sense. And so people have tried developing uh, dozens of competing interpretations. Your listeners may be familiar with some of them, uh, like the Copenhagen interpretation or the many worlds interpretation. There, you know, and on and on and on. Yes, and on. there's a universe where you decided not to come on the podcast. Exactly. And you and I exactly, are now like yeah. doing something completely different, man. There are all these interpretations, and. I have found that all of these interpretations contain at least one nugget that simply doesn't make sense. And so my own journey in grappling with quantum mechanics and uh, you feel like you're forced to choose an interpretation where you have to pick, but I realize that forcing an interpretation on quantum mechanics is a a symptom of our own classical thinking. Uh, what we have learned from experiments is that the subatomic world does not conform to our classical intuition of the universe, of the intuition that we've developed, uh, just being living, thinking, macroscopic creatures. Quantum mechanics doesn't make any sense, and maybe it doesn't have to. Maybe that's okay. Maybe we can, instead of trying to force an interpretation on quantum mechanics and trying to force an understanding on quantum mechanics on this mathematics, maybe we can turn it around and use the quantum mechanics to force uh, a teaching on us, force an understanding on us. So what are some of the ultimate lessons from quantum mechanics? Some of the ultimate lessons are... Um, that you can't determine the future with ultimate precision. There are always probabilities that particles, no matter how distant, are somehow interestingly connected to each other. Uh, that you can't choose one or the other. Uh, Subatomic particles will choose both. And so quantum mechanics once you extract the ultimate lessons of quantum mechanics, it looks less and less like a physical theory and more and more like a, a psychological theory. It looks more like therapy than mathematics. Yeah, you and said Schrodinger and Heisenberg were great therapists. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, and this is the, the realization that I came to in my own grappling with quantum mechanics 
And this is a realization that has given me a lot of peace and a lot of joy and a lot of power in my everyday life because I know I don't think that I am literally quantum mechanically entangled with someone across the world. But that doesn't have to stop me from realizing that my actions and choices have consequences that extend beyond what I can know and realize. That I may not be connected, literally quantum mechanically entangled with someone uh, who is suffering, um, say, in Ukraine. But that doesn't stop me from donating money to help them out. And even if it's a small gesture, a small uh, thing, it can have a massive impact. Um, no, when, when I'm forced with a choice or when a choice is presented on me in my daily life, I know that I can't quantum mechanically exist in a complex phase space that, that simultaneously navigates both possibilities. No, I don't believe that literally. Mm -hmm. But I can believe that maybe there are more choices than a binary either or, that maybe there are more options available to me, that maybe I don't have to take my physical intuition of classical physics and apply that to human interactions and how I live that li my life. I don't have to think classically. I don't have to think either or, one or mm -hmm. the other. You must, uh, uh, local actions only have local effects. I can broaden my horizons and I can use the language of quantum mechanics uh, to do that. And it, in a way, could lead to more mindfulness about the choices that you make and the results that come out of those choices that you can't possibly predict or might not even know about. Yeah, exactly. Like uh, quantum mechanics hasn't made me a better physicist or trying to understand quantum <laughs> mechanics hasn't made mm -hmm. me a better scientist, but I like to think it's made me a better human being. That's awesome. I can't think of a better place to end this interview, except if you ever get to Pittsburgh, I'm taking you to my favorite distillery, which is about a mile and a half from me. And it's quantum spirits. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> they're Love actually it. very, very good. They, they're they're very sciencey about how they put their formulations together for uh, oh, very cool. that which that they distill. Yeah, it, it's their little niche and they, they do it really, really well. Paul, thank you for being on the show today. This has been fantastic. This has been such a fun conversation. Thank you, everybody, for listening. We'll be back next time on Body Talk. Thank you for listening to this episode of Body Talk. Want to support the show? Give it five stars wherever you rate podcasts and get your podcast. Want to support it some more? Go to patreon.com backslash bodytalkradio and become a supporting member. It really, really helps. As usual, the music you hear is by David and the Disasters. This is your host, David Lasondak, saying, take care of yourself because you're the only you you have. I'll see you next time right here on Body Talk. I've always argued that physics and science does not belong to physicists and scientists. It belongs to everybody, and, and it is accessible to everyone. And there are things about quantum mechanics and the subatomic realm that we can fully, that you can understand even if you don't have a PhD in physics. Yeah.